And I want you to tell whoever you're with right now, if you're with somebody, go ahead, tell them out loud. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Everybody go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. Let's hear what your favorite Christmas movie is. Give you a second. All right, your second is up. Now, let me say this. If you said anything other than a Christmas story, then you're wrong. So I just want to make you aware of that. The greatest Christmas movie of all time is A Christmas Story, the one with the little kid, Ralphie, right? You've seen this movie, the pink pajamas and all that kind of stuff. This, this kid, Ralphie, is just distracted at, at the Christmas season. In fact, every time you see him, he's got this glassy look in his eyes and sort of mouth agape, and, and he's, he's obviously somewhere else. He's, he's distracted the whole time. And what is it that Ralphie's distracted about? What is it that he cannot stop thinking about at Christmas time. It's an official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. That's what he cannot stop thinking about. All throughout the movie, he's thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, daydreaming about it. It's got his whole attention. It's a total distraction so that he almost misses the rest of Christmas. And then when he doesn't get it on Christmas, well, I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending. Go watch A Christmas Story and uh, enjoy the distraction of a great Christmas movie. But those distractions happen. Now, before we move on from this, let me ask you this. What's your favorite Christmas television show? Just comes around at Christmas. What's your favorite Christmas television show that you look forward to all the time. And again, tell the people around you in the room, what's your favorite television show at Christmas? And if you said anything other than a Charlie Brown Christmas, you are drunk. What are you doing drinking at this hour of the morning? It's ridiculous to think that anything other than a Charlie Brown Christmas is the best Christmas show ever. It comes on every year. I've been looking forward to it. My kids asked me recently, hey, uh, what year was this made? Do you remember the first year this was on? I'm like, it was before I was born. This movie has been on forever. I think it's been on for over a thousand years. It might have even predated the original Christmas. But I watch that show every year when I get a chance to see it. And, and again, there's distraction, right? That the kids are putting on this Christmas play and then you have Lucy, the director, and she's all domineering and controlling and driving everybody crazy. Everybody wants a certain part and all of that. And there's all this tension that builds because of all this. And then uh, they realize they need a Christmas tree. So they send Charlie Brown to go get a Christmas tree. And he manages to find the ugliest Christmas tree in the history of Christmas trees. And he brings it back and everybody just loses it because they're so mad at Charlie Brown for finding this tree. And it it looks like the whole thing is going to fall apart until there's a beautiful moment when Linus, right? Linus says, you know, there was uh, in the shepherd keeping watch over the flock by night, some shepherds and some angels appear. And Linus, with his blanket, he finally puts down his blanket and he tells us the Christmas story. And once they remember what Christmas is all about, it brings harmony and joy and peace. Guys, how desperately do we need that 
this Christmas season with all of the distractions because it is easy for us to get distracted when it comes to the Christmas season, right? Holiday parties and big celebrations and gatherings with friends and, you know, fighting crowds at the mall and decorating your house for all the visitors who are coming over and Christmas caroling and cookie exchanges Actually, I guess none of that is happening this year. So maybe, maybe it's not so distracting. But you know what is distracting this year at Christmas? The absence of all those things. I mean, I, already I've talked to so many people who said it just doesn't feel like Christmas. I just can't really get in the Christmas mood. It just, just doesn't seem like Christmas. We're not getting to do the things that we're used to doing at Christmas and a lot of us are discouraged, depressed, and distracted by that fact. Many of us are preoccupied with this. And we're dealing with stuff we're not used to dealing with. I realize that as I speak to you today, that, that some of you are laid off from your work. Uh, or, or shall we say, furloughed. You've been furloughed. Congratulations, that sounds so much better. It's a horse racing term. Maybe it means you're going to hit it big, right? No, that's not what it means. It means you're off work at a time when you'd really like to have some extra money for Christmas expenses, and a lot of you are struggling because you're not so sure what to do about that. A lot of you are struggling because your treasured um, traditions are not happening this year, and you're not sure what to do about that. A lot of you are struggling because unlike every other year, you're not able to be with loved ones this year. And, and right now, at Christmas time, we're facing perhaps the strictest um, shutdown that we've had during the whole COVID era. And now it's very questionable whether it's even going to be smart or even allowable in some people's minds for families to gather even on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So, there's the distraction issue. And this year, I have a new challenge how to get you to embrace 2020 even though it's 2020 <laughs> and nothing is normal at Christmas time. In fact, I don't know if you guys have seen this. Probably you have by now, but I was so blown away when I saw this. Have you seen the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center this year? If ever there was a monument to 2020, it's this tree. This is supposed to be the most beautiful tree every year. It's like America's Christmas tree. And they decorate it and they light it, this big, beautiful Christmas tree. Listen, I don't know whose job it was to pick out this tree, but that guy doesn't have a job anymore. This is the symbol of 2020 in the United States this year. And it seems like a fitting symbol. So how do I get you to embrace Christmas, even though it's 2020, and it's a rough year. And that brings me to my second challenge. As pastors, we face this every year at this time. How do we keep the real Christmas story interesting? Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time in the Old West, there was a town that was settled and it was sort of a little house on the prairie kind of a feel. There was one church in the middle of town and everyone knew each other and they all supported each other and they all attended church together. And one day on a Wednesday in the middle of the week, 
the pastor in the town gathered some of the boys and he said, I need you guys to run in every direction and I want you to tell everyone in the town that they need to come immediately to the church because there's a huge announcement that I have to make. So go to every home, go to every farm, go to every business, talk to every person you meet on the streets, tell them they need to drop what they're doing and get to the church right now because there's a huge announcement that I have to make for the whole town. And the boys went off and they told everybody and everybody sort of dropped what they were doing and, and the mill shut down and the store closed up and people left the, the little saloon and the hotel and everybody left and came to the church. And by the time the pastor walked in, there was a buzz in the room as everybody was talking to each other about what do you think this big announcement is? What do you think the pastor's going to tell us? There's got to be something serious going on. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what the big announcement is. And there's a buzz in the room until the pastor walked in and a hush fell over the crowd. And he stepped up to the pulpit and he said this, God is in the world. And then he dismissed the crowd and he left out the side door. <laughs> People were mad. When I left work for this, he, he pulled me out of my house. I had to stop what I was doing. I was right in the middle of something and I had to come for this great big announcement and all he had to say was something we already knew. All he had to say was something we've already heard before. I mean, what is wrong with this guy? These people were mad. He had interrupted everybody's day to tell them something they already knew. Now, of course, what he told them happened to be the greatest news of all time. It was a summary, if you will, of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the same message that the angels gave to the shepherds on that first Christmas night, the one that Linus tells us about in the Peanuts movie, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's the same message that Mary and Joseph received from the angel that turned their lives upside down and turned the world upside down. But once you've heard a message even a wonderful message, it becomes old hat. It, it gets kind of same old, same old. Some of the shine comes off it. If you're not careful, it can lose its luster and it can lose its impact on you. Well, that's a challenge that I face every year at this time. And this year, although it's different in so many ways, is no different in that sense. So here's what I've decided to do. I am introducing a short Christmas series of messages entitled The Name. And in this series, for the next several weeks, we're going to take a close look at two really important passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, in which we're given some of the names or the titles, if you will, that are given to the Messiah. And we're going to ask you to rekindle your thoughts about this amazing news, this incredible story. And we're going to ask God to rekindle in our hearts a passion for this story as if we're hearing it for the very first time. So, 
Let's hear it. Open your Bibles to the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament, first chapter of the book of Matthew. And go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to pick up the incredible story in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken to, um, by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin, until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, there we go. The introductory Christmas passage. A passage you've read many times, perhaps, heard many times, perhaps, certainly a story with which you're probably familiar and there are two important names mentioned in this passage for this Messiah who's to be born unto us according to the angel's proclamation. The first is in verse 21 and it's repeated in verse 25 and that is the name Jesus. And we're going to get to that later on in this series but we're going to skip that name for now. And we're going to move to the second name which you will find in verse 23. That name is the subject of today's message. Now the first thing that you have to understand is how important names are in the Bible. In the, in the Jewish culture and biblical times, it was very common for people to have multiple names and receive new names as they went on about their lives and important things about them changed. I, I could just give you a bunch of examples, right? All the way in Genesis 12, we meet this guy named Abram. And God calls him and says he's going to make him a father of many nations. And he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And then he has a son who has a son. And that guy's name is Jacob. And Jacob wrestles with God. And God gives him a plan for his life. It says, you are going to be the father of the 12 tribes through which I am going to save the world. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And in the New Testament, we have this tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And Jesus comes along and calls him and says, follow me. And Levi closes up the tax booth and never goes back to it. And his name is changed to Matthew. And he's the one that wrote the account that we just read from. Or there's another disciple whose name is Simon. He's a fisherman. And yet, as Jesus calls him to be his follower and then asks him, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock of your proclamation, I will build my church. And he renames him Peter, 
which means rock. And from then on, we know him as Peter. And then in the book of Acts, of course, there's this Pharisee by the name of Saul, whose life is about persecuting Christians and trying to snuff the life out of the church. Until one day on the road to Damascus, he comes face to face with Jesus. He gets knocked on his face, and Jesus calls him to be his servant and changes his name from Saul to Paul. And Paul writes a big portion of the New Testament. Names had great significance in those days. They were often used as a way of describing the person and the trajectory of that person's life. And since God is so huge, it is impossible for any one name to really encapsulate him. And so there are many, many, many names and titles given for the one and only true God in the scripture. I read somewhere that there are 178 names for God in the Bible. Now, I have not counted, so I have no idea if that's true or not, so I'm just going to have to trust Facebook to fact-check me on that. But they say there's up to 178 names for God in the Scripture. I'll take them at their word. But I know this. All of those names have significance. And so when heaven declares that the Messiah was to have certain names, those are the names he's given. Now, let's take a minute and think about this name. Let's look again at Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Probably shouldn't have closed my Bible. Should have left it there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And here's what it says. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. Now, this wasn't decided at that time. This was decreed a long time before this. In fact, some 700 years before this proclamation was made, it was made through Isaiah the prophet. This is a direct quote from Isaiah from 700 years earlier. It's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. His name shall be called Emmanuel. And sometimes you got to look these things up. But Matthew does our homework for us here. And he says, the translation of that name is God with us. And the, and the Greek word for with, the Greek word that is translated as with there, is a really kind of a unique word. Uh, when it's used in conjunction with people, when it's talking about people, it means of the same nature as. It means um, akin to or in the midst of. It denotes association union, unity. And so what is he saying? It means that God, the one who is wholly others, other according to the theologians, the one who is different than us in every way, who is different than everything in every way, this God actually became one with his creation by becoming a human being, God with us. It doesn't just mean he visited us. It means he became one of us. Now, I'll bet You've heard that before. <laughs> I'll bet you already knew that. Oh, yawn, yawn. I know, I know. Same old, same old Christmas story revisited. But think about what I just said. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, perfect and holy in every way, in no way limited by time or space, became one of us. One of whom? One of us. A human being. Human beings. 
until that moment, separated from God, rebellious, unworthy of his presence, separated by our sin, which we commit and which we inherit from Adam. Made in God's image? Well, yeah. But separated from God and about as different from God in every other way as we could possibly be. And the babe of the Christmas stories didn't just come to visit people like that. He didn't just come to be among people like that. He actually became a human. And he didn't come as a king. And he didn't come as a ruler. He came as a dependent, helpless babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a stinking feeding trough out in a cave somewhere behind this little hamlet that nobody ever heard of called Bethlehem. And it probably wasn't long before he needed his mommy to change his swaddling clothes for him, if you know what I mean. That's God. He became that babe in the manger. It boggles the mind. What could be further from the almighty God than a helpless babe crying and laying in a feeding trough? But in this case, the helpless little baby human is God himself. By choice. He left the throne of heaven where all the created beings worshipped him for all time. And he took on humanity. And he was laying in a stinking manger. And he became one of us. And he didn't do it because he needed us. He did it because we needed him. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the miracle of of the incarnation, the infinite God becomes finite man. That Jesus, who had always been God, became man and took on a dual nature. And this isn't a stretch that I'm making from this one name, Emmanuel. This is taught throughout the scripture. Philippians chapter 2 says this, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. And by becoming human, he took on the full experience of humanity, including our weaknesses, including our limitations, including our frailty. He got tired. He got emotional. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He wept. He rejoiced. He laid aside his rights as God to fully experience life as a human. And he took on the human body, the human mind, human will, human emotions, a dual nature, the God-man. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You want to know if Jesus understands you? Do you, do you want to know if Jesus can sympathize with you and what you're going through? Do you want to know if Jesus cares about you on a relational level? Do you want to know if he knows what you're going through? What experiences have you had that Jesus can't relate to? He was born just like we were. He was an infant just like we were. He grew up as a child under the authority of his parents, just like we did. And by the way, he knew more than his parents, just like we did. He, he, um, he suffered hardships. He had his heart broken. He was, he was uh, turned against, betrayed. He felt persecution. He felt pressure. He even tasted death. The whole human experience from conception to death, he had it. Listen. Because he is Emmanuel, you don't have a God who doesn't understand you. He is God with us. Jesus understands. And by the way, he's not named God was with us, but now he's not. And, and the name doesn't mean God will be with us one day, but for now we're on our own. Nope, just God with us. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Emmanuel. He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And he never has. And he never will. Think back. Do you remember when Christmas was so exciting that you could hardly sleep just thinking about it? Do you remember when the truth of the Christmas story was new and fresh and sparked a joy in you because you were hearing it for the first time when it was exciting and life-changing? Listen, I know that in a lot of ways it really doesn't feel like Christmas this year. 2020 has been a year like no other. There's so many things missing. We'd be fools if we didn't admit that. There's so many difficulties to endure. It has been a dark year, no doubt about it. But remember, the first Christmas came at a really dark time too. <laughs> the government was butting into everybody's business and telling them what they could and couldn't do. Imagine that the economy was in a shambles and there was a new tax and the government was making people go and pay this tax whether they could afford it or not. Imagine. It was social injustice at every turn. Imagine. It was a dark time and the world was a dark place. But on that blessed Christmas night, the light of the world pierced the darkness 
and shown into places that it had never shown before, beginning with the hearts of men. Everything changed on that day when Emmanuel came to be God with us. And we never have to be alone again. Let me say that again. You and I, we never have to be alone again. I know that some of us right now are feeling more lonely than we've ever felt before. Not only do we have the difficulties of the Christmas season and missing loved ones who are gone, but we can't even gather with the loved ones that are still here. And some of you are feeling very, very alone right now. I want to remind you, you're not alone. Jesus, Emmanuel, is God with us. And just as a reminder, if you are a follower of Emmanuel, he has said that you are the light of the world. For such a dark time as this, he has placed his light in us, his church. Just imagine how that light could chase away the darkness if we all let him rule and reign in our lives as God with us, the light of the world shining through us. Emmanuel means God is with you. Are you with God? I mean, that, that's really what you have to ask yourself. If so, he wants to use you this Christmas time in the darkness of this world to be the light that pierces that darkness in someone's life. So open your eyes. Look around you. Open your heart. Experience compassion for those who are hurting and walking in darkness. For as the scripture says, those who are walking in darkness saw a great light. May they see that light when they see us, church. Let the God who is with you shine through you to pierce the darkness in someone's heart. Don't just curse the darkness, church. Be the light. You can do it. You know how I know? Because his name is Emmanuel. God with us. Father, we thank you this morning that you have never left us nor forsaken us, that you are with us and that you shine through us. God, we pray that you would shine through us today and always, that the world might see the light, it would pierce the darkness, and you, at this Christmas time, would bring light in a way that people have not seen in a very long time. Thank you that we are not alone. You are God with us. Help us to be with you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. In the name of Emmanuel.